I'll, I'll ask you once again to turn to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 11. Luke and chapter 11. And uh, we read this morning from verse 14 up to verse 26. Luke 11 from verse 14 up to verse 26. Now, he, that is Jesus, he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebub. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest. Not finding rest, it then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Now we took a detour, if you remember. Uh, now we are coming back from that detour. We were for a couple of weeks now, I've been discussing prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ began by teaching us what we call the Lord's Prayer, and then after that, he introduces to us intercessory prayer, and as a way to illustrate intercessory praying in the New Testament, we took a number of passages and a number of weeks in the epistles of the Apostle Paul, where he teaches us how pray. Now, this morning, we come back and I want us to make progress in the gospel of Luke. 
Now, by way of introduction, there are two things that I want to mention this morning. That um, in the day in which you and I live, the thinking, the outlook is that there's no such thing as the devil or demons. Now, this, this kind of thinking is probably uh, we regard ourselves as something that we have outgrown that uh, we have become uh, a people who are so uh, sophisticated in our thinking. We, we have no time to deal with the devil or demons. In fact, any time that we talk about the devil or demons, it is always to make fun of it, to make jokes about it. Unfortunately for us, who live in the 21st century, the, the Bible does not agree with us. It reminds us again and again that there is a devil in this world. And he is active in this fallen world. And this is what we are going to see, God willing, this morning in that passage that we have read. But the second thing then that is important for us to notice is that... Uh, the Lord Jesus, when he was here on earth, he performed miracles. And I'm sure you may have thought to yourself, what is a miracle? Whatever definition you're going to give to the miracle, the thing about it is that once it happens, there is no denying that it has happened. And perhaps this is one of the biggest problems that we find in modern-day charismatic movement. Now, I speak like this because uh, in the early days of my Christian life, I was very charismatic. So that I'm speaking from experience when I make those criticisms. That... Uh, when people claim that there is a miracle that has taken place, it is often very difficult to verify the miracle. People claim that so-and-so has been healed or something spectacular has happened. If you send people there okay, to go and investigate, to go and look around, to prove the claim, more often than not, we have to admit that you find there was nothing there worth writing home about. There is only a claim, and there is nothing to verify the claim. Now, unfortunately, for people who are in that sort of movement, they, it, it's like, uh, you know, the story of uh, the, 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 the emperor's clothes. <laughs> you see? The, the clever merchants. That's, in fact, the first time I came across that story when I was in grade school. That was the title. It was the clever merchants. And these merchants came and told the king, we're going to make you some clothes. Only people who are wise will see them. 
And that's what seems to happen in the charismatic movement. Because if you question, then they sort of ask you the question, you know, you have no faith. So if you have faith, you should be able to say, yeah, it happened. Even though it did not happen. <laughs> and there is no such kind of faith in the Bible, later on in the New Testament. And in that passage that I have drawn your attention to this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ performed a miracle that even his worst enemies could not deny. He was a man who was mute or dumb. I don't know what words we use today. But he could not speak. And when the Lord Jesus Christ cast out the demon out of him, he was able to speak. <laughs> this was a person they knew very well. They knew his family. And here he is, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is liberated and he is able to speak. In the New Testament, there is no record of any individual who either explicitly or intimates that the Lord Jesus Christ was using a slate of hand or deceiving people somehow when he claimed to perform miracles. The miracles that are recorded in the New Testament were all verifiable miracles. It is stuff that happened and people could actually testify that yes, this is our son and we know that he was born blind. We can tell you of a fact but as to how he can now see he is of age. You can ask him the question. But there he was. It's it, it not something that you, 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 know, you, you have to try and explain. It is plain for all to see. Here's a person who could not speak because of the demon that had possessed him. The Lord Jesus Christ, by his, his authoritative word, rebukes that demon, and the demon flees, and the person is able speak. A verifiable miracle. You remember when at the burning bush Moses meets with God. And God tells him I have an assignment for you and I want you to go back to Egypt. Moses had a problem. And he said to God, okay, good enough for me to go there. If I go there and I tell them the God of Israel, the God of Abraham has sent me, I mean, how are they going to know what I'm talking about? How are they going to believe? I mean, Pharaoh is just going to say, arrest this man. He's wasting my time. Or 
then God said to him, what do you have in your hands? It's a rod. Let's throw it down. It became a snake. And then God says to him again, hold it by the tail. It becomes a rod again. He says, take your hand, put it inside your shirt. Take it out. There is leprosy. Put it in there again. And it's okay. God says to him, yeah, now go and perform those miracles before Pharaoh, before the people, that they might know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers, is sending you to rescue them. So the point I'm making here is that the miracles performed by the Lord Jesus Christ were all authentic miracles. They were all verifiable miracles. They were all, even his worst enemies could not deny that Jesus was performing miracles. The problem, however, lay elsewhere. It was not that they could argue with any of the miracles. Because they hated Jesus. They became hostile witnesses. They said, yeah, he performed the miracles. But we can tell you exactly how he's doing it. He is actually using Satan. That's how he's performing these miracles. They couldn't deny the miracle, <coughs> but they could be hostile witnesses and accuse the Son of God of being an agent of Satan. And that is what we find these Pharisees. Such was their deep-seated hatred of the Son of God that they actually accused him of being an agent of Satan. When these miracles that he's performing are meant to help them to see that this is the Messiah sent from God to rescue all men from their sin in their context to rescue Israel from sin. So rather than rejecting the miracle as a slate of hand, they attribute the entire miracle to the activity of Satan. Now, this is probably the worst thing any human being could ever do. This is probably the worst sin you could ever commit against the Son of God. is to blaspheme him in an open manner. 
before that entire crowd that the Lord Jesus Christ had performed a miracle and then to attribute that miracle to the agency of Satan. I cannot think of any worse sin that you can entertain in your wildest imaginations. Here is the Son of God. Here is the Messiah sent to Israel. And here he has come not just making a mere claim but also performing a miracle to help them, to help their unbelief. Because elsewhere he says, do not believe me just because of what I say. Believe me because of the works that I am doing, the miracles that I'm performing. These I perform to help you to see who I really am. The son of the living God. And here, they accuse him of being an agent of Satan. Now perhaps this is where you can begin to appreciate how patient and kind the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because I can imagine if it was me who is there, that you want to curse them. But the Lord Jesus Christ is patient. He is kind. He is gracious. That even when they retort, they answer in this obviously sinful manner. He does not fall upon them in judgment. He does not immediately bring a curse upon them. He reasons with them. He reasons with them. And he basically says, look, guys, I think you have stopped thinking. You have stopped thinking. Think about what you're saying. Listen to yourself. You're saying, I am doing this through the power of Satan. Now think about that. Satan, whoever he is, what is his aim in life? Think about it. He is not going to do something that's going to bring down his kingdom. He's not going to do anything like that. No. So what you are saying is basically because you have been blinded by prejudice. You are blinded by your hatred. You have stopped thinking. Because if you really think about it, Satan is not going to bring about his own downfall. No. So that does not make sense. If we're going to use our own words this day, we are going to say that is not going to fly. That is illogical. 
it does not make sense that Satan will suddenly turn against himself and begin to destroy his own kingdom. It's not logical. And then secondly, not only is it illogical what you're saying, it is also inconsistent. Why? Because what I have done is nothing new. Your own sons cast out demons all the time. And you guys believe that when they do that, they are doing it through the power of God, through the agency of God. So what's the difference between what I have done and what your sons do all the time? Not only are you illogical, you are also inconsistent. That's the way the Lord Jesus Christ responds to these hostile witnesses. He does not bring a curse upon them. He does not speak a bad word to them. He calls them to think. Think. Listen to what you're saying. It does not make sense. It is not consistent. That was his response. Now, we definitely have lots of people in our day and age who are not consistent, who are also illogical as far as the things of God are concerned. They are very intelligent people. When you take them to school, they are A-plus students. But as soon as you bring them to the things of God, as soon as you bring them to the Bible, they are illogical, they are inconsistent. Perhaps you're one of them who, to this very day, you doubt whether God exists. You think, and you think, and you have convinced yourself God does not exist. Now, once again, just think about it. Just think about it. Listen to yourself. Who gave you such a clever mind? How did it come about that you can think, you can analyze, you have this ability to be a good student? Where did it come from? The same God you are insulting by saying he does not exist. <coughs> he is the one who kindly gave you a good mind. He gave you a good mind in school. He gave you a good mind so you can get good grades. And you have turned and begun to bite the finger that feeds you. Did you, for instance, when you're being formed in your mother's womb, 
make sure I have an A-plus mind. You are not even there. You are not even in the picture. God, of his own accord, decided you must have a good mind. And he gave it to you freely, without you asking, without consulting with you. He gave it to you freely. And today, you turn around and clench your fist in the sight of Almighty God. How inconsistent. How illogical. But you know what? God in grace is still kind to you. To this day, he has not fallen upon you in judgment. Although he could if he wanted and righteously so. He has been patient and kind and gracious. The scripture is telling us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and find forgiveness of sin and acceptance with God through Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Savior. That hand that you clench, that fist that you clench against God, who made it? Who gives it the ability to clench? The same God in whose face you clench your fist. He is the one who gave you that hand. How inconsistent. How illogical. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to them, just think about it for a moment. But then, not only does he say to them, think about it. He gives a warning. And the warning in which he gives is that as far as Jesus Christ is concerned, there is no non-aligned movement. Now, I don't know how many of you remember that there was an actual organization called the Non-Aligned Movement. I, I do because of where I live. So once upon a time, the, the world was divided into East and West. The world was divided into the Soviet Union on one hand and all the other countries that associated with it and the United States and all the other countries that are associated with it. And then there were those of us who were just in Africa. <laughs> okay? So we said, we like you, we also like you, but we are not going to follow you, neither are we going to follow you. So we formed what we called the non-aligned movement. I mean, you don't hear of it now, but when I was growing up, they were always talking about the non-aligned movement all the time. Now, as far as Christ is concerned, there is nothing like being non-aligned. You are either with Christ or you are against Christ. No one can be in the middle. Because you see, 
Not only were these hostile witnesses who said he is using the agency of Satan to cast out demons. The Bible tells us there were those others who who told him, you know, give us some more signs. Give us some more signs. I mean, I'm not sure about this uh, casting out demons, but do you have any other signs? Maybe that one will make me believe. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate what you've done. It's a great thing, but, but it's not exactly what I was looking for. Do, do you have anything else that, that could convince me that you are the Messiah? And the Lord Jesus Christ said, be very, very careful. You are either with me or you are totally against. And if you are one of those who are saying, you know, give me some more signs, it basically means you are against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to make it plain to you that in this world, there are no neutral people there are only people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and those who don't. And the question you should be asking yourself is, which camp do you belong to? You know, you cannot choose the way to love Jesus. Jesus alone defines how to love him. And you remember how he has told us again and again, If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Elsewhere, he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate his father and mother, his brother and sister, husband, or wife, even his own life. So only the Lord Jesus defines how we love him. We don't have that prerogative to define and say, you know what? I love you in my own way. No. It means you are against the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, the Lord Jesus Christ gives that uh, that warning. You know about a demon that was cast out. The man was clean. Demon goes away for some time. Then he discovers, you know what? Let me go back and find where I used to be. And he finds the guy, there's nothing going on in there. And he says he goes to look for seven worse demons than himself. And they come and make their home in that person. And it says there at the end, the last state of that person is worse than the first. 
What in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ warning us about? It is simply this. Force conversion. People who profess faith, and there are many. I have told you myself when I became a Christian, it was, I was in high school. And uh, we are so many of us, my friends, still looks like yesterday. But as we sort of grew up, we started falling away and falling away and falling away. And I still do maintain friendships with people who will not hesitate to tell me, I don't want to see you because you're going to be talking about God. We started off together. We all said we love Jesus. We all went to Scripture Union. We all went to share the gospel with our friends. And we were all known as the Scripture Union guys. Now, many of them, they hate even to remember that history. Because they love their sin. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is warning us about. False professors, people who claim to have been born again and follow the Lord Jesus Christ for a period of time. And then suddenly they just discover that I can't put up with this. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do, to live the way I want to live. And they reject the gospel and they reject the Savior who is Jesus. And he says the last state of people like that is worse than the first. I don't know how many of you are aware that there's a, there's a, a website on the internet today <coughs> that's called Christian Deconstruction. And it's full of people who tell the story of how after they said no to Jesus, they've become happy. Like, I'm not exaggerating to you. You can go now after the church and search. They have given testimony upon testimony of how after they left the evangelical church, how they became happy, they became free, and what a joy it is to put. There's even a website of therapy for people like that. That they now confess that uh, after they have rejected the Bible, after they have rejected the church, after they have rejected whatever it is that they did in the past, now they are free and happy. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ is warning about. Temporary believers. That's what he's warning about. Force 
Christianity. And there are many, many people in America who have that story. They grew up in a Christian family and they thought they were Christians. They went to church with their parents. And one day they grew up and they discovered they really, really had no interest whatsoever in the Bible, in Jesus, or anything that is evangelical Christianity. And they've now rejected the whole thing as false, as a lie. And they are standing on their housetops to shout for the whole world. And after I gave up that Jesus, I am as happy as I could ever be. It's exactly the same thing that the Pharisees were saying to Jesus right here. You are an agent of Satan. Lord Jesus is warning both these Pharisees and us. Now, you may have heard the story. What does a fake dollar remind you of? There is a thing called a dollar which is genuine. So genuine that somebody thought they could make it as close as it is to the genuine article and fool some people. So, what does Christian deconstruction remind you of? They are genuine Christians. Just make sure you are one of them. Because if you are not, it's only a matter of time. You will join that wicked crowd and be insulting Jesus from the rooftop. That's the warning here, my friends. There is a real devil, and he deceives people like you and me, and it is his intention to drag you to hell. And there is a real Jesus. A kind Jesus, a powerful Jesus, and he is able to deliver sinners like you and I, rescue them from their own sin, rescue them from the clutches of Satan and his demons, and sanctify them, and purify them, and put his Holy Spirit in them, and cause them to walk in the way of godliness until they leave this world. Yes. There are fake Christians in America today. But don't let them deceive you that that's the only brand that's there. There are fake dollars in this country. But I don't expect one of you you will say, I don't want any dollars anymore because there's a fake dollar. 
That's how some people think. I don't want Christianity anymore because they are fake Christians who were deceived. They thought they were Christians. They thought they were born again. And then at some point they discovered they were still slaves to their own passions. And they could not pretend anymore. They gave in to the desires of the flesh, began to live a sinful life, and they called it freedom. So don't be mistaken because of false professors, because of false conversions, because of, in fact, let me say to you, I don't know how many of you have read the story of Jonathan Edwards. How did Jonathan Edwards lose his pastorate? It's a very sad story. Some young people in the church who had passed through that spiritual awakening that happened in Northampton in Massachusetts. <coughs> you remember the story we call the Great Awakening? The revivals of those days, there were young people who went through that revival, but they were not converted. And as they continued in the church and grew up, they became more and more hardened towards the gospel, more and more hardened towards Jonathan Edwards. And the specific story of how he lost his pastorate, that these young people, one of them at home, came across a book with illustrations about pregnancy and childbirth. Now, of course, there were visuals there that tickled the sinful interests of young men, and he took it to his friends. And before long, they began to say certain things to the ladies in the church. And the matter got to the elders. And Edwards tried to sit them down and to try and reason with them to show them their sinful behavior. They totally rejected him. Totally. And unfortunately, the majority of the people change did not see it as an issue at all. And they booted him out because they could not stand being told the Bible says this is how you are to live. They got rid of Jonathan Edwards. He lost his pastorate because of false professors because of empty professors of religion whose heart has not been changed. They made a profession of faith but they were still still bound by sin and nature's night. What ruled in their hearts is what I want. Not the voice of Christ. Not the voice of the Bible. 
it's what I want, what I feel, this is what must be done. And people like that have no patience with the Bible. They have no patience with anybody who calls them to live a holy life. So my friends, I want to say to you, if you continue coming to church, and I want you to continue coming, but if you, all you do is come, your heart has not been changed. Your heart has not been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only a matter of time. last state will be worse than your first. It would have been better that you had not heard the good news at all than having heard you reject it in preference for your sin. it would have been better, the Lord Jesus Christ said, that you had not been born than that you have been born and you hear the good news of the gospel and even say in the hearing of all of us that you believe that gospel, that you believe in that Savior who is offered in that gospel. And then with time, It was all a lie. It was all emotionalism. Or it was all a deception. And what you really, really, really want is to live according to your sinful passions. It would have been better that you had not been born at all than that you were born and pretended to believe the gospel when in the end, That is the warning the Son of God leaves with you. And so I say to you, are you real or fake? Have you been truly born again by the power of the Spirit? Have you been transformed? Is this a true, real thing in your life? That's the question I want to leave with you this morning. Because if not, you will end up in that warning given to us by Jesus. Thank God for Christian parents. All of you children here who have your parents who are Christians, there is not a greater blessing that you could, a child could ever hope for from the God of heaven than to give you a parent who reads the Bible for you, who prays for you and with you. But remember, your parents cannot be born again for you. You, on your own, must be born again. 
The spirit of Christ must come in your life and transform you. Otherwise, what is a blessing today might end up to be the worst curse in your life. That you had parents who taught you the Bible, who prayed with you, and in the end, you rejected that Savior. What a terrible situation that will be. So remember, remember, Jesus is loving and gracious and patient. Even to people who openly blaspheme Jesus. Because you live in the day of grace. You live in the day in which the patience of God is still, as it were, working in your heart and in your life. But there will be a day when God has says, thus far, no more. Just like he did in the world of Noah. He was patient. He was kind. Until he said, thus far, no more. And only eight people were saved. And that's what he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. I have heard there's wickedness there. I'm going down to see for myself. did. And he says, thus far, no more. They all perished in their sin. So my friend, don't be like a dog that goes back to his vomit and say, this vomit is better than Jesus. Don't be like a pig after you have washed it and cleaned it, only to jump back, right back into the mud and say, this mud is so sweeter. I don't want Jesus. Don't pee like that. And I say to you, in the name of the God of heaven, be warned. Turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Live for Jesus. All the days of your life on earth. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.